Ah, it's good to see your smiling faces. Now, before I get started, I was just sitting here in the front row, and uh, I just had something just hit my spirit and stir in me, so I'm going to just obey the Lord. And my friend Annie is over here. Look at that. I shocked her. Now, last week, I was praying for people over here, and I had this funny thing. I'll lay hands on someone, I'll grab their hands, and start praying with them, and the Lord will, a lot of times, just kind of put something in my spirit for them. And uh, I, I laid hands on Annie. I was praying for her over here, and it was like uh, I had something hit me that God had a word for you, but it didn't come out then. And I feel stirred and just compelled to share this with you. I'd like you to stand up and I want you to reach a hand out to Annie. I was sitting here on the front row, Annie. I looked over at you and I felt a fire on the inside of me. This is what I feel just led to share with you. I feel like there's a, a fire of cleansing coming to your home. Uh, like that the Lord is going to burn away chaff in your life and uh, your husband's life. And I feel like that it's, it's going to uh, grow you closer to him. Because, you know, you've been serving God since this lady and I have known each other since we were what? Little kids. Yeah. I feel like that the fire of the Lord, that, that heat in your home is about to intensify. And I just want to pray over you that a fervor for the Lord would come into your life like you've never had before. I, I feel like it's going to even hit your husband. So I just pray that in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for stirring her up head to toe, inside out burning away chaff in that home over these children in the name of Jesus. I pray generational blessings over every one of them, that they would grow closer to the Lord. And Annie, you know, when I share something like this with you, someone from experience, sometimes that, uh, that chaff, uh, and, and when God starts burning things out, it's not the easiest thing. It can be painful. But afterward, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness in people. So I just want to encourage you with that. I think God's got some great things ahead for you if you surrender to him. Amen. Amen. Sorry, I just felt the Lord hit me to do that. So, All right, you all have your Bibles this morning? We're in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I, I, I'm calling this series World Without End. Now, I told you last week, I enjoyed sharing from the New King James translation of the Bible. Uh, and it uses the phrase world without end in two places. I looked up what that means, and it means basically forever and forever. And, you know, the season that we're in in the world, it's just so clear. We're living in uh, this moment of time when you can sense that the scenario and the scene is being set for the Lord's return. And I just felt like, you know, last week, this week, I, I was, you know, in the book of Ezekiel last week talking about Bible prophecy, the nation of Israel. And, and as we were in the prayer meeting a few weeks ago, we were praying about the nation of Israel. And I just felt something hit me uh, to teach from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 about a thief in the night. I've never taught uh, through this series, uh, through this passage of Scripture. So I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I want to highlight uh, the first two verses and pray. Uh, it said, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren. That would be all of us up here in the church house this morning. Uh, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord. So comes as a thief in the night. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for uh, your quick coming. I pray we'd have eyes to see, ears to hear. And I pray that we would be prepared in this hour to live our lives totally and separately for you. I pray for a spirit of holiness and fire to come into this church house this morning. I pray that you grow us in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. Uh, you know, <laughs> Sometimes I like to open up the services with illustrations, and the danger of doing that is that now I've got my cousin's kids in here, and they don't know some of my stories. So, you know, uh, I was thinking about one night I called my dad, and uh, I said, uh, I need you to come get me. And he said, sure, I'll come get you. Where are you at? I said, well, I'm actually in jail. 
And he laughed. He was, because I woke him up. You know, he was like, no, really, where are you at? I, I was like, no, I'm, I'm with the Laurel Jail. You just come get me. And he said, what for? And I said, dad, I got an MIP. I was drinking alcohol. And he said, you're grounded. And he hung the phone up. Now, if he had any sense, he would have left me there in jail. But my, he came, my mom was crying, you know, about her baby. <laughs> so I was grounded. And I just figured, you know, like if I couldn't go out, I would just bring the party to me. Now, somehow mom and dad, I, they left me home alone. And uh, they went on a date. And I don't know, I had 15, 20 kids come over with booze to my house in the hot tub. And I would have got away with it. If it hadn't been for my friend Stoney, he was calling a buddy of his. And the guy didn't answer the phone. He called back, and the phone rang and rang and rang, and the voicemail picked it up. And Tony, Stoney and him had a conversation about what was taking place at my house. I thought I pulled it off. And uh, I remember Dad, that night, came home. He went through the voicemail. <laughs> and there I was. I got caught. I wasn't too prepared to be caught. I really thought I was going to get away with it. <laughs> And it reminds me of the words of Jesus in uh, Luke 21. Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. You know, the, uh, the writers of the Bible, Paul here, he is reiterating what Jesus said. Because they thought that the Lord would come in their lifetime. How do I know that? Because if you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, We who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord... He says, we, Thessalonians, is explicitly, so that's the theme of Thessalonians. First and second Thessalonians is explicitly eschatological. That means it's a study of the last days. That, that is like one of the first epistles that Paul wrote. And, and he's just telling them you need to be prepared. So we're living in the last days. The last days begin at the birth of the church. The day of Pentecost, that, that's when the Bible paints the scenario of the last days. That's plural because it's been in this time that we're living in. Now, I want to highlight verse 3. When they say peace and safety, that's when sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and it says they shall not escape. What I want to highlight for you this morning is what I'm calling an escape clause for Christians. You know, I've had the privilege of buying uh, three homes and I've also bought two properties, this church and a property down the street, which were larger acquisitions. So when you purchase a property, you get to have what's called a home inspection or an inspection on the property. They're going to find out, you know, if the roof is leaking. They're going to look at the foundation of the home. They're going to check the wiring, make sure everything is above board and safe. And if that inspection fails, if there's a problem somewhere, you have an escape clause. You can get out of that situation. You can get out of the deal. And, you know, the, uh, the inspection that's taken place into the world system has revealed there's many problems in the world today. And governments of the world have run amok. I mean, they've got the planet so leveraged with debt. I mean, there's all kinds of violence and wars. And, and, and you just read the news. You can just see the handwriting is on the wall in this world. So it says something interesting. When they... Now, I, I, I always find it curious. Who exactly is they, right? When they say... You know, peace and safety. So I think here we're probably talking about governments. When the governments of the world start to tell you everything's all right, peace and safety, in a moment when you least expect it, the Bible says in a scenario like that, that is when the Lord will come quickly. Now, I love the congruency of the scriptures. Last week, we were talking about the, the scenario with war 
in the world. Ezekiel 38, you know, we're walking through uh, the scenario. If you look at what's taking place in Israel, I think this morning they're releasing hostages, right? I mean, that's in the front pages of the news. The whole world is fixated upon that. And I told you that it's, it's, it's very conceivable, it's according to Scripture, that that escalation is happening. Like, like you can just see that Israel is going to have greater and greater conflict in the days that we're living in. And the, the thought of peace and safety comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27, when the Antichrist signs a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. That, that's what the world's been prepared for. There's coming a man on the scene, the Antichrist, who is going to take this situation and he's going to say, we have a solution, we're going to create peace and safety. You, you can see that the, the stage is being set and Bible prophecy is coming to pass. Now, I am one who believes in the rapture of the church. I, I personally adhere to the pre-tribulation rapture. Some people are uh, mid-trib, pre-wrath, post-trib, and I learned this in Bible school. I, I'm not just in my pre-trib, I'm kind of pan-trib. It's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> the Lord will take care of everything. But I heard people say, hey, you know, like the, the rapture is, is escapism. And I want to just quote you, quote you a couple of scriptures like Luke 21. Jesus said, watch and pray that you might be counted worthy to escape these things coming. In fact, Isaiah 26 talks about hiding yourself, being hidden from the indignation that's going to take place in the world. Uh, there, there's a place you can hide yourself. Uh, Revelation chapter 3 says, if you're faithful, God will keep you from the hour of trial, which is coming upon the whole world. There's a principle here. God does not judge the righteous with the wicked. And he saved Noah. And so I'm going to familiar. And he can spare you if you put your faith in him, if you trust in him. So I'm going to familiarize you with your policy here. And uh, I, I want to highlight what is entailed in this escape clause. And I'm going to just work our way through the passage. I love teaching the Bible in context. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse number 4. He said, you brethren are not in darkness... That that day, someone say day. day. It's capitalized right there. You see that? That, that is a, a phrase to the day of the Lord, his coming. That, that should overtake you as a thief. And he said, you're all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. But let's watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, the Bible says, usually they get drunk at night. Now, I want to highlight the first condition of this uh, clause for you. First thing you got to understand about these times is you got to wake up. You got to be awake, roused from the spiritual slumber that so many in the Western church world have themselves in right now. Uh, and Paul wrote this to the early church, but how much so does it apply in the days that we live in? I was just reading you know, the book of Romans a few weeks ago. Romans chapter 13 said the same thing. It, it says that it's high time for us to wake out of sleep because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Yeah, Mark 13, 33, Jesus said again, watch and pray. He said, uh, lest coming suddenly you miss his return. So it's time for you to hit that alarm clock. Let's set it and get out of bed this morning because uh, this is what it's going to take for you to wake up. The first thing you got to have if you want to stay awake is an active prayer life. Interesting that Jesus said, uh, watch and pray with me for one hour. I, I find it amazing that, you know, a lot of people have a hard time even praying with God for one hour. If, if that's hard for you, maybe start with 15 minutes, get it up to half hour. I know for me, I like to spend an hour in prayer, uh, usually throughout the week. I try to give myself a block of time to pray. I especially do it before I preach 
And going into the weekend, I, I intentionally will spend time alone with the Lord. Now, he called it something very interesting here. He said the Lord's coming is like a thief in the night. And you know, when you think about that thief in the night, you're thinking about someone sneaking into your home and robbing it, right? But that's not necessarily what the language means. The idea of a thief in the night, I, I looked this up in the Hebraic concept, because you know, the people who wrote the Bible were Jewish people. This is a Jewish idiom that, that's, a, that's a linguistic tool that people would have been familiar with in those days. A thief in the night is a reference to the night watch at the temple. They kept the fire going in the temple morning and night. And anyone here ever had to work a night shift? You, you ever fallen asleep on a night shift? <laughs> it does happen for people. Well, in the same thing here in the temple, priests, they had to do the night shift. And guess what? There might be some newbies in there falling asleep on the night shift. And so the, uh, the high priest who was known as the captain, he might, what they would do is take a hot pan with some coals, they'd put it in that pan, they'd kind of put it down somewhere near his garments, and those things could light up in flames, and that guy would have to run out of that place uh, naked and ashamed. <laughs> so when he said a thief in the night, Jewish people know exactly what he's talking about. So when you're asleep, when you should be praying, someone could sneak up on you, set your clothes on fire. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I like reading... Uh, daily devotions. This is one of the greatest ways you could master your spiritual life. Daily devotions have been some of the greatest things I've ever had to maintain my personal walk with the Lord. As we get here towards the first of the year, I like to highlight the fact that you ought to have a daily quiet time with God. That, that's where I get manna from heaven. I, sometimes it's hard for me to even feel like I can start the day without having devotions because they feed my spirit so much. I, I feel like I get to spend time with God. I get most of my sermons from quiet time. I'm reading through the scriptures. The Lord will highlight something to me. I can go over it. And it just kind of resonates in my spirit. I get comforted by the Holy Spirit when I'm having daily quiet times. I need his help. I need his hand. Sometimes he corrects me when I'm having daily quiet time. The Bible is called a mirror. And it's like when you look at the mirror in your home and you see your hair is disheveled, it gives you a chance to get ready. That's what the scriptures do. They correct you. They help you get your personal appearance set up. I get insights for living. I get wisdom from heaven. And it all comes because I've been spending time alone with God. Daily devotions are what I like to wake up with. Another thing he said here is, is, is watch and, and have a sober mind. So if you want to be prepared and you want to be awake, you got to have a sober mind. That's what Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.7. God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind, a sober mind, a mind that understands the hour that we're living in, a mind that's not distracted, a mind that's not intoxicated, um, a mind that's not just has its eyes on the ends of the earth and running after things. You know, John said that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And, and that's what you see in the world. You've got to take a realistic look at what's in the world. I'll tell you what's in the world. It's a very deceiving place. And, and it's something that will trick you. Uh, and you're not going to find happiness in the world. No amount of money and no amount of pleasure and no amount of highs and, and, and doing fun things is ever really going to satisfy your spiritual life. Did you know that? If that was true, Hollywood actors wouldn't be overdosing on drugs. I mean, the world is a deceitful thing. It's not just deceitful, it's deteriorating in the country we live in at announcement for Christmas. It's a hot mess. You can see violence taking place. You can see immorality in the country we live in at an increasing rate. There's dishonesty that takes place. I read that there are more senators in America 
who are uh, senators and congressmen who are retiring now than ever before because they feel like the problems are getting out of control. I mean, that, that's a real thing to wake up to. Uh, we are living in a unique moment. So if you want to stay awake, you know what you got to do? Turn the light on. Walk in the light. My kids do not like to get up for school. And if they won't get up, what do we do? We hit the lights on. And they scream and they roll over. And if that didn't work, I pull the blankets off. But they'll get up. <laughs> I like to get up early in the summer because the sunlight comes into my room. And I'm wide awake when that light comes. And this is what the Bible says. You ought to walk in the light as he is in the light. And you'll have fellowship with the truth. Let me tell you about the truth. It's fairly sobering. The truth is where God uh, likes to shine his light upon certain hidden things in your life. Uh, it's in the light where God will deal with secret sins in your life. Now, I have been in a very interesting season lately, uh, and I was sharing this with our staff about how the Lord has been personally chastening me. By chastening, I mean correcting things in my heart. He's been exposing certain attitudes that I've had, he, he, certain places of arrogance in my life. He's been exposing things in my heart that, that are not right, that are not pleasing in his sight. I want to live a life that's pleasing for him. I want the ambitions that, that he doesn't have to be dealt with. And I can only see those things when the light of God starts shining in certain places. And I'm telling you, that will keep you awake. When God starts dealing with you, when he starts correcting you, when he starts highlighting certain things, when you come out of darkness and into light, it's like, you know, that's where your eyes open up and you turn away. So if you want to be prepared, if you want to be ready for the escape that the Lord's going to bring, you better be awake. Whether it's in Paul's day or the day right now. Second condition to this clause, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. Let us who are of the day, he's talking about believers, be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So first thing you got to do is wake up. Second thing you're going to have to do is armor up. You're going to have to get ready for the battle. And what Paul is describing here is the attire of a Roman soldier. I mean, that's what he's talking about. And he quotes, you know, here it's 1 Thessalonians, but in Ephesians chapter 6, he, taught, he says, put on the full armor of God. You know, not your breastplate of righteousness. We talked the helmet of salvation, that's here. But, you know, your feet need to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The truth of God needs to be girded about your loins. You've got a shield of faith and, and a sword of the Spirit. And those are the things he wants you to be, you know, dressed with. Because you've got to dress for the occasion. And the occasion is battle. You know, depend, you've got to dress right for the occasions you're in. Another time when I was in Laurel High School. I mean, Laurel High, I, you know, believe it or not, there's a couple Laurel High School students in here. We had this thing called the Winter Formal. Uh, I was the prince of the Winter Formal, actually. I ran into the guy who won the king. His name was DeMario. He was an African-American man. And I told him, you only won because you were a black man and popular. <laughs> he said, you got to give me more credit than that. <laughs> I remember that, that formal. I had a top hat I was wearing. I found an old top hat. My grandpa had beaver skin top hat. I put it on, and it, didn't, it was a little too big, and it sat on my ears. I looked like the baby New Year. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> But I was dressed for the occasion. That's what you got to be is dressed for the occasion. The occasion is warfare. You're engaged in spiritual battle. And that battle is real. By the way, the battle seems to be intensifying and increasing in the world. It'll hit you when you least. Yeah, now, spiritual warfare is a funny thing. It can hit, it's so sneaky and subtle. It'll hit you when you least expect it. I, I was, you know, in my office, I was talking to an individual recently here. 
And this person had been going through trials, struggles, frustrations. And, and they were talking about the addiction problems they had, the, the, the thing. And as they were talking, I don't know what happened. It's like my mind went somewhere else. I started thinking about other things. I started thinking about uh, warfare started hitting me. And I was thinking about how sometimes demonic spirits can be very subtle. If someone is struggling with something and there's that spirit at work, if you're not careful, if that helmet of salvation is not on your head, it's easy for you to go places in your mind where you shouldn't go. It's a subtle, sneaky thing. These are the days in which we live, man. You're going to have to have uh, that armor on. A breastplate, he talks about. You know, when I think about the breastplate here of faith and love, I think about guarding your heart. Faith, the Bible says, works by love. And when you have the love of God in your life, that is one of the greatest ways that you can have spiritual warfare. You can push back the plans of the enemy with the love of God. Yeah. So that means... That if you're going to walk in love and you're going to guard your heart, maybe you shouldn't be so judgmental of people. That's what Jesus said. Take the log out of your own eye before you start judging other people. But I meet people all the time who their first inclination is to judge a situation. They get bitter. They get angry. Uh, It means if you're going to walk in love that you forgive people, especially the ones that hurt you. Man, if you can learn how to forgive somebody, if you can learn how to walk in love, turn the other cheek, you would see how amazing your spiritual life could become. Walking in love means you're a servant to somebody, that I'm willing to go the extra mile to be a blessing to somebody. And when you are just loving people, being a blessing, that's where you can keep yourself safeguarded. You're wearing that breastplate to protect yourself. Uh, we, We read here about the helmet of the hope of salvation. That has to do with renewing your mind. And I like what the scripture says. You can be transformed in your life by the renewing of your mind. That is a huge thing. Here it calls it the help, helmet of hope. Man, hope is missing in a lot of people's lives. You know that? And the enemy loves to bring fiery darts against you that tell you that the situation is hopeless, that tell you that it's going to fail, it's going to backfire, it's not going to work for you. And what you need is to have that helmet of hope in your life that says, I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. I'm going to live and not die. Because when, when you just accept the thoughts the enemy brings at you, I mean, you're going to get rolled over by it. So when I've got thoughts coming at my mind that are ungodly, that, that are clearly from the enemy, I, I try to answer every thought with a scripture. There is a Bible verse, there is an answer for every accusation the enemy might bring at you. Like when he tells you that you're going to f- fail, that's when you can say, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. When he tells you that your finances are in trouble, you can say, my God supplies all of my need according to his riches and glory. That's in the Bible. I have a covenant with him. He takes care of me. When your family looks like it's deteriorating and fracturing, you can remind him what the prophet Isaiah said, great shall be the peace of my children. You can say, no weapon formed against my home is going to prosper. I'm holding on to that. Uh, When you feel like you're going to fail, I like what the book of Proverbs says, though a man may fall seven times, seven times the Lord will pick him up, man. I'm grateful for the grace of the Lord. I'm grateful for hope. Hope for your future is what helps you have a way of escape. God has a plan. God has not forgotten you. God cares about you. He loves you. And if something about staying strong and full of hope. Now I'm going to get to the third condition of our clause here. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse nine. He said, God did not appoint us to wrath. Someone say wrath. 
You know, the, the, the doctrine of wrath, like eternal judgment, has almost disappeared from the modern church. You know that? And I, I taught on hell last year, and I had people tell me they couldn't remember last time someone preached a sermon on hell. But, you know, Jesus had more to say about hell than anyone else in the Bible. That's quite a thought. And this context here, he's talking here about hell and eternal damnation, described as the wrath of God. I'll tell you how here. He said, he's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, right there, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or whether we sleep, by the way, sleep is another linguistic idiom that means you've died, not not that you're sleeping, that you've died. Whether we wake or whether we die, we will live together with him. I love the 11th verse. Because of that, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. Now, you want to be ready to make a great escape. You're going to have to wake up, armor up, and the last thing I want to tell you this morning, if you want to be prepared, is speak up. You're going to have to share your faith. You're going to have to be people who are willing to communicate and speak up on behalf of the Lord and, and be a witness everywhere you go. I like what Jesus said in Mark 16, man. He said, preach to every creature under heaven. We just got ourselves a dog. Never thought that would happen. Yeah. Well, I, I practice preaching to the dog. I'm preaching to every creature. If I come to your house, I'm not really much someone who like loves dogs, but I could preach to them. Preach to every creature under heaven. Yeah. Mark, Romans chapter 1, man, do not be ashamed of the hope of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I, I, I'll preach it wherever I go. Now, not everyone's comfortable sharing their faith. Not everyone feels you know, like they can always do it, but I want to remind you what Peter said. You should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. You should always be ready when the situation comes because it comes in moments when you don't expect it. And I'm, I'm always looking for opportunities. Sometimes I ask questions so I can get to the right place and, and, and share someone, the gospel with somebody. And, and the thing here is, how are you going to be an effective witness? Now, I, I love these verses right here. To be an effective witness, the first thing you, you have to have is confidence that heaven is your home. You and I are not appointed to wrath. You know, hell is a concept that God created. It's not my idea. It's God's idea. He, he, he's the one who came up with that. I'm not God. If I was God, maybe I wouldn't have done that. But he's God. He has a reason for doing what he does. And his ways are higher than our ways. It is an awful thought. Man, what a wonderful thing. When, when you're filled with the love of God and you know I have a hope in heaven to live for. It becomes very easy to be full of joy and share your faith with people. Oh, so I, I love it when I'm around people who like to share their faith. My friend Paul over here, he tells all the time, he gets people saved. He goes back, you know, on ranches where he's working and he'll share the faith with people. He's had people that he's led to the Lord just before they've died. You know why? Because he has the hope of heaven in his heart. Spiritual things are alive. There, there's hope in your life for what comes uh, in, in eternity. And with that hope, man, you can be a blessing to somebody. I like that 11th verse. Uh, comfort one another with these words. You got to learn how to comfort each other. You know, Paul is repeating that verse from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18. He said it there. He says it again. And the idea is that the coming of the Lord should be a comforting thing. It, it, life 
is going to get a lot better at the Lord's return. Did you know that? The kingdom of God, when he shows up, is going to be better than your life here in Billings. And you know, the thing about lukewarm believers is they don't think about that. They don't know that. They're not excited about the concept of Jesus coming. They don't think much about eternity. They're really more concerned about their retirement account, their 401k, and hitting nine holes of the golf course. I'm just telling you, that's where a lot of people live. They, they, they get caught up in the things of the world without ever expecting that good things are ahead. It should be of great comfort to you and me to know that Jesus is coming and coming soon. And, and it's going to be a lot better than the current situation you have here. There ain't no inflation in heaven. You don't got to pay taxes in heaven. People all have redeemed natures. You don't got to discipline your children because they get out of hand on Thanksgiving after they've jumped across the couch. I'm just talking for myself right there. <laughs> uh, he said, comfort people and edify them. You know, that, that word edify, uh, it, it's like c- confirming the truth that they know. Uh, it, it's, it's a reinforcement of beliefs. And I get comforted and I get edified when I come across people that I like to talk to about the things of God. Like my grandma, man. I miss my grandma. It was our first Thanksgiving with that grandma. And you can always rest assured grandma would talk about the Lord. We'd talk about the things of God. That's, that's what I remember in her life. Yeah. Now, I did meet someone I met at Walmart. It, it, by the way, if you want to be in a, like, look for a place to share your faith, look no further than Walmart. You have a captive audience over there. Who, who need the Lord? Have you been to Walmart? The West and Walmart. In Laurel, they're more sanctified. But it was, that West End Walmart, man, you got some people that need the Lord. I was, uh, I was over there one day. I don't know how I met this lady. This is before the days of the Walmart app where I could have them deliver my groceries. I love that app. But I had to go in there and get, you know, like a ton of food in your cart. You remember that? It takes like an hour and a half, two hours to go grocery shopping. So when you got all that food going through the cashier line, you can talk to the cashiers. I remember one lady, it turns out, you know, she, I don't know how we got on the topic. She goes to church out in Lockwood. And we just both started talking about the Lord. And then, uh, you know, the conversation turned to Jesus is coming. <laughs> yes, he is. So whenever I see her at Walmart, because I got to go in there and still get a few things, we see each other and we say, Jesus is coming. <laughs> I love that, man. I get comforted by it. I get edified by that. I like to be around people like that who build me up. And, and, and we talk about the things of God. Man, that encouraged me. I love to be a vocal witness. You can talk about it at Walmart and be noisy and fit right in over there. He, he said in the verse, uh, comfort one another, edify people just as you are doing, which means that you need to continue in it. Continue to be a blessing just as you're doing. You know, I, I like what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap. I feel like a lot of people get weary in well-doing in, in some of these days in which we're living. And, and here what the scripture says is if you want to be a witness for the Lord, you need to actively continue to do what you're doing. Be faithful. Uh, Jesus said, occupy until I come. That means you don't bury your head in the sand. You are doing the work of the Lord and the things of God. And you're active with it and you're consistent with it. And, and you're living your life and you're being a witness and you're sharing your faith. And, and that's what the Bible says to do in these days. I, saw, I read an interesting story uh, about a dam that was built in 1938 in New England. In those days, they were building uh, dams for the water supplies. This one was going to Boston. Well, in, in the valley where they were going to build that, that dam and, and have the water reservoir, there was a beautiful town that was there. That town had been there for some time. Well, the government came in. They said, you know, uh, 
These homes are condemned. We're going to buy you out. We're going to pay for your homes. You can continue to live here until we've got the dam built, and then you're going to have to go somewhere. And you know, what was interesting was that beautiful town that had stood there began to deteriorate. No one fixed anything. It, it, it dilapidated until there was just, just a, a, like, almost like a, a ghost town. And the idea is this, where there is no faith for the future, there's no work for the present. So if you want to hope for your future, you've got to take care of your present. What is it that you're doing in the present to be a witness for the Lord, to do work for the Lord? Are you serving in your church? Are you being a blessing to people? Are you stewarding the things that God has given you? Are you seeking after his kingdom? Are you putting him first? What are the things that you're investing and involving in your life so right now you are ready for the Lord's coming? Because you know what? We have a future. We have a world without end to look forward to forever and forever. One which the Bible says peace and righteousness dwell. One where truth and justice reign. One where mercy and truth kiss. I mean, we have a beautiful world ahead of us. We have great things to look for. And it should be a comfort to you if you really are awake and alert to the things of God. It shouldn't be something that you're scared of or don't think anything about. It's coming down at you. And you are living in a moment of time. God sovereignly set you up for this. You know, that, uh, that phone call that I placed to my dad when I was in jail woke him out of a dead sleep. I mean, he... he my mom was laughing because she remembers. She remembers crying. She remembers dad being angry. <laughs> it woke him right up. I want to ask you this morning, are you awake? What is it going to take to wake you up? Hopefully it's not a catastrophe. Hopefully, let me give you a verse from the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 23. Turn at my rebuke and see if I won't pour my spirit on you. So sometimes it takes catastrophes to wake people up. Sometimes, though, all it takes is a simple nudging from the Lord, a nudging from the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't, I don't know what he maybe has been dealing with in your life, but it could be one of those things where maybe there's something that God's confronting you. Direct. If you hear his voice, that's evidence that you are awake and alert to it. But if you're not listening to correction, if you're just kind of blocking it out of your mind, that could be evidence that you're sleeping. And you do not want to be asleep in these days. You want to be awake. When, when, when the alarm goes off, you want to get up. You want to hear it. Yeah. So are you awake this morning? Maybe you say, I need to wake up spiritually. I need to take it up another level. Yeah. Uh, are you dressed for the occasion? You know, we just had Halloween a few weeks ago. You know, you get little kids, they love to dress up. They like to be princesses. And every year my son wears a suit like he's wearing this year <laughs> to church. <laughs> he's James Bond. <laughs> Uh, you know, the thing about kids is they, they get to dress that, like that. But, you know, I, I find like a lot of adults are like kids. And uh, they, they dress like children. They're not wearing armor. They're not dressed in battle fatigues. That, that, that's the days that we live in. You, you better be wearing the armor of God in your life. And maybe th- this morning, you, you're under warfare. And you realize, I need to wear my armor I need to be accustomed to how to use the sword of the spirit God has given me. I need to have the breastplate of love in my life. Because uh, one day when you get to heaven, you're going to be given attire to wear, robes of righteousness and crowns of glory. You, you, you have clothing to wear that's beautiful and glorifies the Lord. You want to make sure you've got your armor on, you're dressed for the occasion. And